lot of well, I appreciate you sitting down with me today. I want to be respectful of your time. Um, so just to get you introduced, you have um, Tamar Stone. Am I saying that correct? Tamar. Tamar. Okay. Yeah. Thanks. I've only uh, seen it read. And so uh, yeah. the uh, you, um, I want to get to your work and some of the stuff that you've done, but also a lot of the podcast is kind of trying to give people an idea of the like history of the profession. There's yeah. not a great understanding of that even among clinicians. So mm -hmm. going back to kind of start with um, your dad, you have, you know, your dad is a Jungian analyst who actually goes through one of the Carl Jung Institutes, which is not a, a quick or cheap process. You know, you have to have been in analysis for seven years, then you've got to do what, four years of study that you pay for? I mean, right. it's like a master's degree. Um, and then after, after that, they had, you know, the blessing of the Institute and, um, then he gave that up to start his own model and jump in and correct me anywhere here. Cause I'm going based on what I understand. Yeah, that's absolutely correct. And so the model is called voice dialogue and the embracing ourselves book is kind of the manual for that. But then there's a whole lot of other resources. Um, and I, I wanted to talk to you because when I first got into therapy, they were just teaching us all this CBT in school and it was the cognitive behavioral stuff. And I was just like, I don't understand this. Like, how would this ever make anyone change? This is just common sense stuff the ego would try before going to therapy. Like, I don't want to tell somebody this in therapy. Like, and I I just didn't get it. And the, the first kind of, you know, Jung, I got into later, but he's kind of overwhelming. And in school, all you get is this guy came up with the collective unconscious moving on. You know, if you get anything, that's what you get, you know, in the education now. And when I picked up Embracing Ourselves and was going through it, I was like, I like this a lot. And I like this a lot more than Internal Family Systems. I think Internal Family Systems is great, but it's very popular. Um, and the voice dialogue stuff was so intuitive um, that the concepts made sense with every single person that I talked to. People really liked it. And then it kind of set me down a road to depth psychology and somatic psychology. So um, yeah, I was really excited to, to get a little glimpse into maybe the formation of that. Do you, do you have any insight into their process or secrets uh, you know about the <laughs> <laughs> wow big question well i could tell you that when i was like in my teens my father used to sit me down in the living room and you know and talk to my parts and you know it it, it probably you know it was one of the few if only households you know where this was happening and my brother would walk in the room and want to watch and it was like no don't sit there my you know, whatever self was sitting there. And um, so he, you know, he, um, he was a very um, deep and rich thinker. And this body of work, I think, really did come out of, um, you know, his Jungian roots and uh, ancestry, if you will, you know, he was mm. in the lineage of the, the, the you know, the, the, the conscious mind, the collective conscious, you know, and, and, and the voice dialogue work has evolved over the years. It's not like he started something and then it got, it didn't ever reify and it doesn't, it still doesn't feel reified because when he brought it to the world, I mean, he, he, he conceived it. And then in his relationship with my stepmother, Sidra, he, they, they really worked the work together. They walked the walk, they talked the talk, mm. they, they facilitated each other and, and really took the work out to the world. And, and so, 
one thing that I think is important to distinguish is like, so the voice dialogue is really the technique of giving voice to your inner selves. But, but the philosophy is called the psychology of selves and the aware ego process. And the premise being um, for your listening audience that we all have selves, they're universal. Everybody has selves, you know, the pusher, the critic, the perfectionist, the pleaser, the accommodator. But the difference at the personality level is that we over-identify with certain selves and repress and disown others. Mm -hmm. And not only that, but for every self that's dominant in our personality or that's primary, we say, in our personality, we are repressing or disowning its, its opposite in a very mathematical way. It's, ma it's a mathematical precision. The degree to which we identify with oneself is the degree to which we repress or disown its opposite. So then it becomes kind of more juicy and interesting and kind of exciting to explore like this isn't just random this is actually um mathematical and um i use the term repress and disown separately that that repressing um well let me start first disowning a self is actually where it's off the radar screen of our consciousness we don't even know that it's there it's sort of like a fish in water repressing a self is sort of like we kind of know it's there but we're just not giving it energy it's you know it, it's yeah more or less uh, we're disowned as it's literally off the radar screen of our consciousness so so furthermore, you know, that that there we have all these selves and and the personality in a traditional sense is sort of like what we call like um, or what's referred to as the ego or the operating ego in, you know, is in voice dialogue terms, whatever selves are running the show at any given time. You know, it might be one, it might be more than one. It's it's the lens that we're seeing out of. It's 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 how we see the world and how we're seen by the world. So um in in the voice dialogue, psychology of selves perspective, um, there's the concept of an aware ego, which is which is um a healthy, I mean in 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 the psychology of selves we don't negate the ego it's not a bad thing it's a survival thing these selves have been born usually in our family of origin to help us survive and survive not necessarily physically but emotionally psychologically spiritually you know we have to survive you know any kind of issues in our in in the home if there are issues um, birth order, you know, um, you know, um, poverty, um, um, community, school, religions, you know, that these selves are born in us to help us survive. And um, that's really important. And they deserve to be acknowledged and valued for the role that they've played in our lives. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and, yeah. Yeah, go ahead, please. No, you, no, go ahead. You, you please finish. Well, what, one more thought with that. And so what happens with these selves is that they're born usually early in our lives. And 
And they have helped us in many different kinds of ways by, you know, like, you know, lending their support, you know. Uh, but what happens when we grow up is some of ourselves are still like frozen in time and they're, they're continuing to function as if we're still children in our family of origin. And, and so what, what from the voice dialogue perspective, we just want to like update those selves, acknowledge them for the role they've played and update them, even like update their job description, you know, just like to, like they don't, they don't need to function as if we're still children. That's not necessary, you know, and th that's the update. And it's, it's often the least uh, used, you know, parts of self that we're the least comfortable with. So when they come out, they're very rigid and they have a very, you know, strong hold over us, you know, because we avoid them until they're unavoidable, uh, in my experience. Mm -hmm. Can you give an example of what you mean? Well, I think like, um, have you ever seen John Beebe's like shadow model of the MBTI? He's no. one of those Pacifica kind of Jungian. Uh, I guess he's getting older now too, but um, he talks about, you know, that on the MBTI, which I think there's a lot of overlap with the, lang with the language of the voice dialogue system and then ways that the MB MBTI works. But, you know, for anyone not familiar with it, it's generally saying that our brain can, can think or solve problems in eight different ways, mm. but each one of those ways is directly opposite of another type. So I can't be saying, what's going on inside me and what do I think about this and, and what am I feeling at the same time that I'm going, what's going on out here? What are they thinking? What are they feeling? Those are, those are um, introverting or extroverting. You know, you can switch pretty quick, but you're doing one or the other. And so, you know, there's eight of those. And, and BB says, you know, as you stay in any of the, the, the therapy models that work, the numbers get closer together. You get less comfortable being like, I have to, you know, me, I was just intuitive all the time. I mean, I could not do detail-oriented work. I, it was like, I couldn't learn math in school because I was like, a computer could do this. Like, why, I don't want to do this. What's important is figuring out and making connections and creating. And, and you know, that's, that's pretty rigid, you know, you know, and I needed to be more comfortable with detail-oriented thinking. I needed to be more comfortable with, you know, a, a rote, process that was probably meditative and trying to pull me back into my body more than I wanted to admit, you know, it's easy for the ego to just say, no, I'm, I'm creative, I'm intuitive, you know, like, I, I don't like that, you know, really, there's probably some fear there. And so I think like a lot of times when going back to, to your question, like when you have a, a part of self that's very young, that was very rigid in the house, you know, a controlling part or a protective part um, that kind of pops up to keep you safe, you usually don't use it very much, you know, it's not something that you're seeing all the time or you're very conscious of. So when it comes up, it's very strong and reactive. Um, yeah. Yeah. Or that it's used all the time and you cease to see it as yeah. so, you know, when someone's enmeshed with the part when the A type is always, you know, controlling us, that's an option too. And you said a beautiful thing, you know, about your own process is like how that it was important for you to integrate the, the rational. Mm -hmm. And that's what's true, you know, about this philosophy and how, you know, how it was held by my father and, and it continues to be held by uh, Sidra and myself. You know, it, it, it's, um, it's almost like we we attract what we disown in our lives you know if, mm -hmm. if we're really identified with a certain self or set of selves what are we going to attract in in our lives are people who carry the opposite energy 
And, it, mm. and that's not like a punishment. That's we marry our shadow, you know. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And and it's an opportunity. It's like an integration. Or another way of saying it is we want to be able to take the homeopathic dose of, you know, our opposite, you know, our, you know, our partner, our friend, our neighbor, because they're they're caring. That's how we become really whole. I mean, whole in a real way is integrating the things that that are foreign to us or that we disown or repress or yeah so it's beautiful it's a beautiful kind of model it's a consciousness model really mm -hmm. and i i think that that one another concept that you have used before is that the the shadow is always a paradox that for every part there's a direct opposite part yeah. Yes. And I think that's an interesting idea. Um, we use that a lot. Could you say a little bit about how you apply that? Yeah. Well, like one thing, the way I hold shadow is that, uh, that sh um, you know, I know shadow gets kind of a negative kind of rap, you know, in some mm -hmm. methodologies, you know, oh, the shadow. And it's like as if it's bad, but it's, it's not. It's just what what's you know what we're not seeing that's what's in the shadow you know it's mm -hmm. like when you know when we're walking in the sun we have a shadow and you know we turn around to see it and the shadow's now back there so mm -hmm. uh, so our shadow can be what's repressed or disowned but our shadow can equally be what's so dominant in our personality that we just cease to see it as so so i have a a, a wide range of you know how i hold the shadow mm -hmm. and in voice dialogue work in the technique of giving voice to these cells we always start with what's primary what's dominant what's protective because that's the safest way of gaining access to what's on the other side what's repressed or disowned is you go through the primary and find its opposite mm -hmm. because in doing it that way it, it's fundamentally safe it's almost like getting permission to go to the other side after you've honored the 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 um the part that has created a, a lot of protection and run a lot of interference and mm -hmm. yeah so that's the way to get to the the shadow is it's really you know through the primary and it's really really safe and it's really really honorable yeah i, I think the tension of those opposites when I, I work with a lot of um dissociative disorders uh and but really with everybody there's there's like um when you get somewhere so quickly when you offer somebody that doorway because somebody may sit and talk forever about like i'm so afraid of being judged i hate other people judging me why can't everyone just be nice you know i, I hate judgment and and then you know you say okay let's look for the opposite of that and you though know, there's going to be this is very strong so there's going to be an opposite piece you know and then slowly they're able to be like wait a minute i judge all these people to protect myself from judgment you know <laughs> like the, this is actually this paradox where if i just sat there you know the, the, both of those things are in you that seems to get people there quickly if i just sat there and was like do you think you're a judgmental person i mean there would be a you know analytic debate for hours about no i'm nice it's the world that is bad you know I, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. The idea of opposites somehow is less threatening to the ego, I think, to, to see some of that stuff. Yeah. And that also in in the opposites, it's not that we need to become the person we're judging. It's not, you know, it's just to see that they hold an energetic mm -hmm. um, opposite 
energy. It's not that, you know, we need to become, you know, our enemy or our you know, people, you know, we want it, we want to claim or reclaim um, the, the essence of what that part. So if I'm judging someone for being a slob, it doesn't mean I need to become a slob. I need to recognize what the essence of slob is. And, mm -hmm. and I had that in my own life with someone. And, you know, what I found was the essence of slob was someone who, so, so the difference between, you know, it, it, it's like, you know, I don't need to be, I mean, I, I'm more identified with perfection or organization and order, but it doesn't mean that I need to become a slob. I need to be, have access to what slob represents for me. So it's not like when we see what it is we're, you know, because we can learn about our, our primary uh, you know, and disowned selves. You know, well, we can learn about our disowned selves by who we judge, who, who triggers us, who creates an aversion response. But again, it doesn't mean becoming that. It doesn't mean we have to be like them. We just have to find what the essence uh, energy is in what it is we're judging. Well, um, the so one of the things that is kind of interesting to me is that you've got analysts who do kind of what um, Sidra and Hal did. They leave the Institute in the from the late 60s to the early 80s and then start models of Jungian um, based, you know, uh, therapy that are more somatic and more experiential, like voice dialogue is, you know, this direct encounter. It's not an analysis. Uh, as much um do you have any re do you, do you i mean one did did uh do you know if those guys talked i mean did art mandel ever talk to the voice dialogue people or the bioenergetic did they did, i mean they're kind of doing a similar thing and then mm -hmm. two do you can you speak to maybe the frustration with the institute or the limitations to peer analysis that was leading people to you know leave something that it was hard to to, to do took a lot of time yeah, you know, it's a great question. Um, I, I I don't know if there was much communication in, in all these different people and modalities. I, I don't know that there was actually. Um, there could have been, but I, I don't know. And also, I think I, I wouldn't even, for me, I mean, I see it as evolution, you know, like, mm -hmm. like everything is sort of evolutionary. And... Um, so it, it's not, I mean, it's not to me a negation of Jung or even analysis because there's still a place for it <clears throat> for some people. And, you know, and Jung still has this like father of psychology kind of place. And he always will, I think, because mm -hmm. he was a forerunner, you know, not that Freud wasn't also. But um, so part of it to me was just evolutionary, you know, that. Sure. They, you had these other people who were like carrying the mantle, like there was, you know, they mm. was young in their, in their bloodstream, but they were, you know, evolutionary. And the thing I would say about voice dialogue um, in particular is one of the things that Hal and Sidra did or didn't do, you know, that a lot of other modalities did is they didn't certify, they didn't reify mm -hmm. The organization, you know, they have an organization. I mean, but they, you know, and and I, when I train people, I give certificates of completion. But there's no certification. 
So what they did that's different, and I'm not even saying good, bad, right, wrong, but what's different is they didn't they didn't reify and and voice dialogue has therefore become like open source software. Mm -hmm. People who who learned it and ideally learned it, you know, in a really kind of lineage way, like the S, you know, in a pure way. Mm -hmm. And even if they didn't, you know, they they have been able to run with it in lots of different creative ways, and it has it's not institutionalized. And um, mm. and I I I have a lot of respect and admiration like that. That was kind of cutting edge of Hal and Sidra, you know, to do it that way. It, that wasn't done, and I think it's what keeps this body of work kind of. Um, a little bit like in it, not of it. It's not confined, reified, or tied down in, in a certain way. It's really like or open source software. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, I think that that was one of the reasons it's so interesting is the people taking Jung's um, view of the psyche, which I think is other psychologies it's not that they don't work you know it's like adler had something he was noticing you know the compensation you know instead of you you can use that language to set attention to the opposites or you know cognitive behavioral therapy is ego management strategies but jung did something that takes a long time to learn but it is the most complete psychology out there it kind of describes every instance of um mental illness also a journey across the life course i mean just it's incredibly big and and and, and whole um, but you, you see a lot of people like, um, well, here, here's my suspicion. I don't, I don't know. Um, one of the things that happens in the seventies to academia is that it becomes kind of like, especially the soft sciences kind of become insecure. So you see things like the direct practice doctorates in mental health that are just now coming back. Cause we're kind of fixing a lot of damage that was done to the profession in the eighties like they just go away you know you, you're not allowed to study the thing uh, as a practitioner you have to do it as the the psychology of the thing so that you can teach in academia and publish papers and mm -hmm. raise your t-score and, and all of this stuff and i think that hurt the profession it, it kind of overly intellectualized it and i wonder if that didn't creep into the institutes because when you read the the, the things that are getting published they're incredibly analytical and they're yeah. they're very um they're not based in experiential stuff and it's it's strange to me that that is the case because jung wasn't like that a lot of the earlier jungians like hillman weren't, weren't like that you know hillman would make people find the physical root of the archetype and jung is so phenomenological you know he only writes case studies and then eventually does the red book to map his own self but you don't see the spirit of that left you see people that are kind of insecure kind of like very mm -hmm. academic very theoretical and i wonder if there wasn't just not a place for people doing experiential type modalities and that's why you see that in the 70s and, and 80s but I, I don't know yeah i'm not sure either you know i'm not sure either it is a, it's a great question <laughs> a living question <laughs> Well, I think that they were so ahead of their time. I mean, a lot of the, the neuroscience now is starting to say, well, you have to use the body and you have to use the subcortical brain and, you know, direct experience is better. And it's just like somebody already said that they said it 40 years ago. Like, you know, you guys, you guys wrote it off as not evidence based because it wasn't a number that you could put into a study. Um, 
and again, there's the evolution that like, you know, maybe we could get further to the experiential because you know, there is a Jung and a Freud and, and an Adler, you know, that, that, that there's this rich terrain, which, you know, all these modalities have grown out of. Mm -hmm. We did an interview with uh, Peak Neuroscience and they have this uh, proprietary technology basically that is kind of interesting and it will map the brain and you wear a, a EEG, an active EEG, and it tells you, you know, what's going on, and then they can stimulate different areas. So, like with autism, you can take mm -hmm. the part of the the thought thalamus is trying to signal, hey, this is how you handle sensory input, but the longer term memory portion of the brain, there's a signal gap; it's not learning how to handle the sensory stuff. So they can kind of zap the information from over here, over there, and it's it's neat stuff. But they were saying that the brain essentially it has these wavelengths, and you can see how it's thinking based on the wavelengths and what they mean. Hey, I'm sorry. We keep keep disconnecting. Yeah, it's a mystery. I don't know if it's my computer or yours. And yeah, that's really odd. So, what's the last thing you heard there about um, the neuroscience and and you know the work that that they've done like with autism and yeah. So, well, so they basically were saying like the brain it it want, the problem is that it wants to think only in one of these wavelengths, but that you need all of them to be more whole, and so. They were saying like, okay, so the theta wave, that's how when you're trying to study for a test and you're trying to concentrate, but you're concentrating so much that you start to overthink and you feel bad about yourself and you become obsessive. We would lower the theta and then you need more of a, and it was like, they sounded so much like voice dialogue, you know, uh, yeah. you know, conception or, or MBTI kind of, you know, balance yeah. functioning. Yeah, yeah. And balance is such a great word. And, you know, like in voice dialogue, the we want kind of, to integrate all ourselves we you know ourselves are this inner family and we want to have access to all of them and and balance doesn't mean like a fixed balance where you don't move you know like okay got it don't move it's more like like a um it's it's a living you know it's fluid and you know and this aware ego process versus an operating ego is that we have an objective awareness of ourselves without judgment you know it's like we can hear what all of ourselves are saying at any given time at a content level without identifying with it without you know like without even a value structure it's just objective witnessing and we can also feel what ourselves are feeling but again without judgment without like saying this is good and this is not good just feel what ourselves are feeling hear what ourselves, know what ourselves are saying or wanting, you know, at the content level. And that's how we're involved, you know, with ourselves. It's this aware ego that's not judgmental, that's not um, values-based, you know, like, and, and it gives us a, a sense of choice. I mean, real choice. In every given moment, we're making choices. But if these with with access to ourselves where we're not being pulled like 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 you know pulled down on you know to the under the waters of life where we're conscious and intentional um we're it's there's a kind of freedom and liberation in that it's mm -hmm. very powerful so i mean now could you talk a little bit about your work and the body uh dialogue process and selves in a box you know the, all the ways that you do your your process yeah uh so 
um, the, my main work is one-on-one one -on -one with individuals and couples. And then in addition, I do trainings in voice dialogue, level one, level two, level three. And then um, I created an offshoot of voice dialogue called body dialogue. Um, that's about giving voice to the overall voice of the body and, and, and all its parts, that the body has a voice and all the parts of the body have a voice and that there's a very safe and honoring way of giving voice to the body because the body is often, you know, for many people, very disowned. And um, so it's really profound to kind of get into a relationship with your own body. So that's a whole, that's a body of work that, that I created as an offshoot of voice dialogue. And then I also created um, Selves in a Box, which is a card deck, kind of like a, a psycho-spiritual tarot deck. But it's, it's a, you know, of the, using selves. I chose 52, and I think there's an infinite number of selves out there, but I chose mm -hmm. 52 to represent in the card deck. And, and, and the gu guidebook that goes with the gu card deck is like a graduate study of consciousness where I teach mm -hmm. work, and then I show all these different ways that you can use the cards and explore your own psyche and consciousness using the cards so yeah that's kind of my thing is i kind of live and breathe this this work and i'm i'm very grateful um grateful to my father and my stepmother and you know that i'm in as you are you know in a in a um in, in a life work that i i love and live <laughs> Well, and so I mean, there's two parts of the voice dialogue uh, like system that I don't do. Um, I mean, one of them is chair work. I mean, they they originally they was like gestalt in that you would sit here and talk as the inner critic, sit there and talk as the pusher, sit over here and talk as the authentic self. And I mean, you were you were moving around to it, there was some psychodrama, and then the other part of it was it was a group practice. You know, they would do groups a lot of the time um, from what I was reading. I mean, do you do either of those or uh, are those necessary? Yeah. yeah. Um, well, I, in, in my work, I do voice dialogue with people. I mean, not all my clients necessarily want to do, you know, the, the technique of giving voice to the inner selves. You know, sometimes it's just more a philosophical conversation in regards mm -hmm. to their life where they get the consciousness model, but they don't want to necessarily do the technique. But I do, even on Zoom, I do, you know, 75% of my work is voice dialogue where we, and, and it's not kind of random. I really get, you know, I follow the thread of the person I'm working with, like what's primary. And we always start with what's primary and then go to its opposite. So it's done in kind of an honoring and balance mm -hmm. and, you know, uh, there's a methodology and, and, and the safety, you know, to, to, to doing that. And then I do group work too. And I do, I have a dream group and I do a selves in a box webinar where I do readings for people using the cards. I have an online version and yeah, so there's lots of different, even in the group work way back, you know, Hal would actually do voice dialogue with people or he'd have, he'd teach on dreams and consciousness and then he'd have people break up and do voice the voice dialogue mm -hmm. with each other. So voice dialogue is always sort of being done for, mm -hmm. for people who want to do it. For the people who do it, it's usually a positive addiction. They love 
learning about their cells. It's really quite mm -hmm. exciting. <laughs> but you add the somatic part to it. You bring the body into that process. I do for people who want that. You know, I don't, you know, require it for anyone. But if, if I am working with someone, um, you know, where I feel that the body is sort of being negated or repressed or disowned or, you know, calling for help, you know, I'll bring up, you know, I think it might behoove us to do a body dialogue session or some people just hear about me you know it's like there's so many doorways into consciousness you know people are struggling with the end of a relationship so they enter a therapeutic relationship with someone or people have an illness or an injury and they enter into a therapeutic relationship with someone to you know to to kind of how to hold hold it all and there's a lot of doorways in to consciousness and yeah, so for some people it's the body, you know, and for some people it's it's something else. So yeah, I do it all, you know, I just look whatever someone is wanting or needing. I I I you know, even couples work. I do a lot of work with couples because I I love doing couples work from from the psychology of selves perspective, which is equal responsibility, equal accountability that there's no like, well, you're right and you're wrong. No, there are a lot of moving parts. There are a lot of cells involved and it, and the, the you know, it's, it's an equal journey. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and do you want to say anything more about your process or the cells in a box system? You know, I saw that was for sale through the website. That looks like an interesting addition to our clinic. So. Yeah. Um, it, it's, um, Currently, I mean, it's for sale through Amazon. I'm actually just in the midst of like my third um, reprinting and I am kind of updating, refreshing the box. So that's probably about maybe six to eight weeks out. Um, and then the new version will be available. I think I only have about like 25 boxes left at home. And then Amazon has about maybe 30. So, but yeah, I mean, there, that's available through Amazon. And um, I think it's a great tool, a tool, you know, for, a tool for consciousness and a tool in working with other people's process. And um, so it's, is it like an introspective tarot deck almost like exactly. using that to, to understand the self? Exactly. In learning to understand, you know, your, your relationship to your own selves and also to understand your relationship to other people's selves. It, it works in both ways. Well, and I saw you had done a talk on Jung platform. Um, did, you, did you have a good experience with them? I haven't heard it yet. Um, yeah, yeah, I am. And I'm going to be doing a, another one and I think October on just the inner critic. <clears throat> mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, they they um you know approached me and you know i because of the origins you know uh, uh, and my father's you know lineage i just felt very honoring of of you know the request to do voice dialogue yeah. coming from them that's really beautiful so yeah i try to you know again open source software like go where the energy is like you reached out mm -hmm. to like oh an opportunity to connect with someone else in the world you know on the consciousness path and how beautiful is that yeah it's uh it's interesting they had reached out to me i think like a year and a half ago and then i got underwater with everything and had never really put anything together but it's still on a short list to do there's some really interesting stuff on on their site yes. um well 
I, I think that's what I have. I mean, I, I was just kind of curious if you had any insights into that. And I think giving um, you know, even clinicians a sense of the history and, and, and dynamics of the profession is important and something we leave out in education yeah. a lot of the time. Um, do you have anything else you want to add or or or, um, or pitch that you're, you're working on? And uh, we can link to anything that you'd like to yeah. us to link to. Yeah, yeah, thank you. I am working on a book on the body and, um, you know, my history with it and, you know, body dialogue and, and all, like, and what, you know, th that the body has, you know, to your point, an important role in all this. Like, with it's sort of like without planet Earth, we won't be here. Without our bodies, we won't be here. So, you know, I I, I do really value that. And, you know, I... I yeah, so that's something I'm working on. Um, yeah, I think I, you know, it feels complete. It was a real honor to meet you, Joel, and I really appreciate, you know, you and the work you're doing and, you know, what you're bringing to the world. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate you sitting down. It's always neat to, to um, you know, hear people that have direct experience with, you know, parts of the profession. Um, because not all of it, I don't think, gets the exposure that it does. I mean, there's kind of, or the, it should. There's yeah. kind of a, a bias that I think is changing where if something isn't objectively measurable, we don't research its effectiveness yeah. because it's harder yeah. to research it. Absolutely. And so you get people saying, well, the gold standard is the simplest modality because the most research has been done on it where, you know, I don't see the A to B there, you know. Exactly. <laughs> but, yeah. Well, and, and do you ever do any eye movement therapy, EMDR, or brain spotting? Or do you have I've done it myself personally and very much respect it. And, and I think, you know, gosh, I believe in all modalities. It's like, you mm -hmm. know, to re reach out to sort of the one you need at any given time, you know. So, yeah, I, I have personally experienced. I'm not trained in it myself, but I have the utmost respect for it. Absolutely. Yeah, brains, EMDR has a... Uh, kind of rigidity to uh, a lot of the uh, protocols, but with brain spotting, I find it fuses really well with parts-based stuff. Mm. I mean, we use, uh, we'll find the inner critic physically. How does this want to move your spine? You know, do you want to fight, stand up and fight? Do you want to hide? You know, what what is that? And then that opens a gateway to go really far in. But it's the parts-based language that help people find the, the what's in their body. Yeah. So um, we use those together quite a bit. Yeah, lovely. Mm. And then, because um, I, you know, internal family systems is real big now. You see it like in a lot of treatment facilities and stuff. Um, I mean, it's almost the same system as voice dialogue with maybe a little bit different methodology and different vocabulary, but a lot there's a lot of overlap in that they're both parts based modalities. Um, I mean, do you, what do you think the biggest differences are or, or, or the voice dialogue community even aware of the IFS that much? Not really. I'm, and honestly, I mean, I'm just being, I'm not that aware, but I, I think maybe the biggest piece is that in voice dialogue, there's really the strengthening of an aware, mm -hmm. ego, an aware ego process. And not the aware ego as an, a self. It's not a self, it's a muscle, it's a process. Mm -hmm. It's our capacity to stand between opposites. And mm -hmm. I think that may be one difference. And the other difference is, is really separating from self. Like when I work mm -hmm. with someone with voice dialogue, I have them move over. They don't mm -hmm. have to move far, 
but I have them move over and make a physical separation so they can experience the self as, as, as a self and separate from, it's like a disidentification from mm -hmm. that we see, you know, this, this critic, you know, it's strong in me, but it isn't me. And that separation is really to me important. And then coming back and having a sense of, you know, an aware ego process where, you know, I'm in it, but not of it. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. I yeah. think voice dialogues language is a lot more intuitive. I think you, you're the, the, I mean, and I'm, kind of pushy I want to move quickly and the more time I'm spending teaching somebody vocabulary or parts mm -hmm. of the brain or the the language of a model is time that we're not spending doing work and with voice dialogue there's very little that you have to explain because it, it, all this stuff is readily apparent and familiar and you know differentiating between a firefighter and a protector and a you know and IFS is you know I think the model is good but I also I'm not wild about the language and the thing that I'm the least fond of is the name because the, this whole idea was like well internal family systems there's a whole family of different things in your head and they you can use family therapy to make them talk or whatever but it's like when you say internal family systems to somebody they think you are doing therapy with their family it is not clear <laughs> that it is an individual that's therapy funny. modality <laughs> like, um, that's so, so funny yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I, uh, I always just say IFS if I'm yeah. going to say it. Um, but uh, yeah, thank you so much for sitting down. And um, do you, we'll link to the website. Uh, do you want us to link to the in platform talk or anything else that would be? Um, uh, yeah. Um, not necessarily. I am up doing um, or redoing my website. Hopefully, you know, by September, I'm going to have a new, fresh. Um, and more user-friendly websites so, I, you know, people will, can learn more. Um, but, yeah, no, I think that's kind of it. <laughs> and then you, do you see people um, across the nation or can you practice in any state via online? Yeah, I, I have an international client base. I, I work okay. with people all over the world and I'm an early riser so I can adjust for my international clients by getting up sure. early. Yes. Well, that's that's great. Um, yeah. So, and uh, that is another thing. You know, anybody listening to this can can call you up if they're interested in that work. And we usually put the video on YouTube and then release the audio as a podcast. So the um, reach, you know, is, is is a lot. Well, yeah. thank you so much, and um, I thank you, appreciate you sitting down and and um, we will uh, and waking up early. Uh, and <laughs> my pleasure. All right. Well, uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Okay. Bye bye.